Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried, whom they used to set down daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of all who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But when Peter, along with John, fixed their gaze on him, said to him, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said to him, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And leaning up, he stood upright and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people that saw him as he was walking and praising God knew that he was the one that used to sit at the gate called Beautiful and would beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Bow your head for just one more second before we dive into this. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time and for this place. Thank you for this, this building where we can come gather to hear from your word that we even have coffee and we have heat. That's such a blessing. Help us to not take these things for granted. I pray, Lord, now that I, your servant, would be set aside and that we would hear only tonight what it is that you have to teach us, what it is that you have to show us, and what it is that you have for us to learn from and grow into. Thank you for your for being faithful. Thank you for pursuing us. Pray, Lord, that my, that my mind would be clear and linear. These, these double-duty Sundays take a toll on my mind, so please help me to be, to be a good servant and to communicate clearly what it is that you have written here in your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we continue on in our study of the book of Acts, uh, one of the little sidebar notes that I need to make before we consider this miracle tonight uh, is, is that whenever you're teaching or you're preaching from the Bible, there's typically two components that you're teaching from. There's two truths that you're speaking to, and, and one of them is the content of the gospel message itself. God in the flesh come to seek and to save that which is lost, Jesus Christ himself. Truly man, truly God, simultaneously, never sinned in word, thought, or deed, went to the grave, rose again, died on a cross, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and is intervening for his people and working through his people to this, to this very day. And then there's also, a, along with the content of the gospel itself, that we are sinners that need a savior, there's also the ramifications of the gospel. Now that we have the gospel, what do we do? How do we live? How do we think? What do we do about children? What do we do about marriage? What do we do about business? What do, you, what do we do if, if we live in a, in a country with either a country that's, that's, that's capitalist or a country that's communist? Or how, do, how do we get along? How do Christians live in the world in which they exist as believers in Jesus? And the New Testament has much to say about that. Most of the, the New Testament epistles uh, address some form to some depth how we are to live in the fact and in the reality that we are born again of Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit. And one of the things that we have right here in front of us is what do we do with the workings of the early apostles? What do we do with miracles? And the reason why this really has jumped out at me is, is as I've, I've said a few times as we've studied through the book of Acts, and we'll say again and again because there's lots of miracles in the book of Acts, there's lots of prophecy, there's lots of words of wisdom, there's lots of these manifestations of the working of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I, I shared with you 
a few weeks or a month ago that I honestly, I tried to be a cessationist. I, I tried to find in the scriptures that with the apostles, the signs and the wonders stopped and that today it does not happen. And I can't find that. The, and the people, the people that teach it and the people that preach it, I understand where they're coming from, but all due respect, when I open my Bible, I, I, I think that they're wrong. I have never seen a miracle, I have never spoken in tongues, I have never had one of these powerful manifestations of the Spirit, but I know people who have, and my only caution is that we don't get too caught up with the miraculous. You see it all through Jesus' life. People weren't really concerned about him, his message, or who he was. They were concerned about what he could do for them. He can feed us, he can heal us, he can produce food and the, the the favorite of all favorites, John chapter two, he turned water into wine, 80 gallons of wine. That is a party man right there. Everybody loves that miracle, but they missed him. They saw his signs, they saw his miracles. No one ever denied that he could do them. But in the process, they got so caught up in me, 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 what can you do for me that they missed him. And so his message of self-denial, his message of sin, his message of being the Messiah who came to seek and to save those who are dead in sin went right over their heads. They had no interest in it. And I heard somebody, a, a, a well-intended guy who I love and trust, say to me some months ago that it was, it was the context isn't really important, but the, the thing that he said was this. He said, well, you know, if, if I'm in a church service or I'm in, I'm in one of these situations and I see somebody get healed, I, I mean, that's, that's the Lord. I, I, I'm just signing off on that 100% right there, that's the Lord. And I remember thinking at the time like, okay, you know, fair enough. If, if I saw somebody who had a leprous hand just miraculously get healed, that would that'd be hard to argue with. But we, but we have to argue with it. We have to, we have to stop and ask, our, ask ourselves about the nature and the effect of the miracles that take place or any sign or any prophecy or any word of wisdom. What is, what is the goal? What is the, what is the product of that sign. Is, is man elevated? Is the, is the name of some prophet elevated or the name of some pastor or some preacher or is the name of Jesus Christ elevated? Is salvation in his name and his name alone the truth that is brought forth? The book of Acts opens up with Luke writing to an individual named Theophilus, who's likely a Gentile convert. And he says in chapter one, verse one, the first account that I wrote to you, O Theophilus, I composed and wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And what he's saying there is that the gospel of Luke, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the gospel, and then he wrote the, the book of Acts, and that Luke was, what, what he's, how he puts it, is that this is what Jesus began to do and teach. And that's not to be confused with the work of redemption. When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. The work of, of saving sinners from sin, the price that had to be paid, the, the, the debt, the sacrifice, the lamb that had to be killed, that was, that was done. Jesus was the one who came to pay for sins one and, once and for all. That, was, that work was finished. But the work that's continued through his apostles and through his believers to this very day is the work of proclaiming the gospel to every tongue and every tribe and every nation. It's the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go to every tongue, tribe, and nation and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. That is a work that is still very much at play. That is our job. That is our duty to be, to be beacons of light for the gospel, to be heralds of the good news of the kingdom of God. And for the apostles, that included signs and wonders and miracles. 
And in Peter's opening sermon, the very first apostolic sermon in Acts chapter 2, we saw this. Peter stands up in front of thousands of people at the Feast of Pentecost, many of whom were the very people who cried out for Jesus' blood. Let his blood be on our heads and on the heads of our children. And Peter starts to attest to them that Jesus is the Messiah and that they killed him, but that he rose again from the dead. And one of, this, one of the ways that Jesus has attested to them is through miracles and wonders and signs. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. Everybody knew that Jesus was a miracle worker. Nobody doubted that. Nobody argued with that. It was impossible to do so. Even his enemies were like, he can do miracles. We don't know what to do with this guy, but we gotta find a way to shut him up. And they're gonna do the same thing with the apostles. And these, these descriptions for the miracles, they're called miracles and signs and wonders. And that's not, that's not describing three different events. It's describing the same supernatural work in three different ways. It, it speaks to the nature and the effect and the purpose of what these supernatural works are. A miracle speaks to the nature of this, of this work. It's supernatural. It's something that's outside of the bounds of the natural working order of the universe. Calling them signs is, is what the, is the effect that they have on people. Or calling them wonders is the effect that they have on people. It causes people to stop and to wonder. How many times through the gospels did Jesus do something and people said, we've never seen anything done like this. We've never seen somebody who's blind recover their sight. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised the widow's son from the dead. This astonished people. It caused them to wonder. And then they're called signs because like every sign, it's meant to point to something beyond itself. It's a sign that signifies something greater. They're miracles. They're supernatural. They're wonders. They cause people to stop and to ask and to acquire. They get your attention. And then they point to not the miracle in an end of itself, but to the person who's performing the miracle, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. So what is the point? Why, why miracles? What is the point of a miracle? As I, as I push back on my friend who said, hey man, if I see a miracle, I'm signing off on it. I, my, my challenge there is, well, why? What, are, what, what is this point of a miracle? What is, it, what is, the, what is the purpose of that miracle? And, and, and who, can, who can do them? Who's able to do miracles? Or is it people who just go to a certain class? Is it people who have some certain, some certain stamina in the faith or some, some power of, of belief? Is it something that you can earn? Is it something that you can attain to? And all of this we must consider as we look at what John and Peter are able to do here because as apostles who go forth and continue to do the work that Jesus began, they perform a miracle. And so I want us to look at what, what the result of that miracle is. What is said? What's specifically taught? And then what is actually the repercussion or the ripple effect of that miracle taking place? And so we have Peter and John. Apostles of Jesus Christ, two men who followed Jesus in his earthly ministry from day one until the day that he died and then the day that he rose and the day that he ascended. These two guys have been there. Chapter three, verse one, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. And I just wanna pause and stop right here and, and, and just take note of the fact that Peter and John are together. Because remember that when we went through the gospel of John, John and Peter did two very different things. John was there all the way to the very end. He followed Jesus through his arrest. He followed Jesus through his mock trial. And then he was there at the cross as Jesus was hanging, dying for people's sins. And Jesus actually spoke to him and said, son, behold your mother. And mother, behold your son. He was putting his mother in care 
of the Apostle John. John was the apostle who stayed, and Peter was the apostle who strayed. Peter denied Jesus three times with expletives and with an oath, and yet here they are both together in the work of ministry. And I love that because if you're anything like me, you feel like a Peter, someone who's just blown it. Have you ever blown it and, just, and you knew that you blew it and you, and you knew better and you did it anyways and it was a volitional choice and you just think, I'm beyond saving. I'm beyond God's grace. I'm beyond Jesus' blood. I, I have blown it too hard this time. Every opportunity that I get to speak against that lie, I have to take it. It's a lie. And I love that Peter and John are right here in the very beginning of this, of this movement. Peter, who blew it so hard, but he was reinstated in the faith. Jesus asked him three times, John 21, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Shepherd my flock. Peter and John are together, and they're going into the temple at 3 p.m., the hour of prayer, verse 2. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried, whom they used to lay daily down at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order that he might beg alms of those who were entering the temple. We know from the pages of history that the gate beautiful was one of the partition gates that separated the courts. It might have been the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews. We don't really know exactly, but history records that these gates were so big that they had to be opened and closed with the strength of 20 men pulling and closing these gates, these gates open and close. And they were ornately decorated with gold and with silver. And it's at one of these gates that a man who's been lame since birth, a man who cannot walk, is asking for money. Something that we're familiar with, something that we see every day. And he comes across Peter and John and, he stop, and they stop. And when Peter and John were about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. I don't, I don't like to conjecture about things, but I, I, do, I do think that, that it's safe to say that this guy had been at this gate for a long time. And this causes, this causes me to wonder what this guy had seen, what this guy had heard, what this guy knew. We're told later, Peter and John get into a good bit of trouble because of this miracle that they're about to perform on this guy. They get interrogated, they get threatened, they're told to stop, they're told to flee. And in the middle of this, because this was a miracle they could not deny, the people who were coming against them, in chapter four, verse 21, we read that when they had been threatened further, they let them go on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man who was more than 40, the man was 40 years old on whom this sign had occurred. This guy who's being laid daily at the gate is more than 40 years old. He's been unable to walk since the day that he was born. And I can't read that and not at least wonder, had Jesus not seen this guy? If he's laying at the gate daily, Jesus has just ascended back to the right hand of the Father not that long before this. It serves to reason that this guy had been there at the gate, that Jesus had seen him, that the disciples had seen him, and that he had seen them. And that the, the only answer is we just, that we don't know. Even if this guy saw Jesus every single day that he was in Jerusalem and Jesus didn't heal him, we don't know 
Why? Remember the story in John chapter 5, the pool of Bethesda, where it says there were the many who were there, all sorts of illnesses, all sorts of diseases, all sorts of infirmities. And Jesus walked into the pool of Bethesda with maybe dozens of people who have all number of problems going on with them. He picks one guy out randomly from the crowd, heals him, turns around, and then walks back out of the pool of Bethesda. And we're left wondering why, and wondering what were those people thinking? And can you imagine laying at the pool of Bethesda for maybe years and then watching one guy get healed and the guy that did it just leave and not even say anything to you? I don't, we don't know. It's not for us to know why Jesus does and doesn't do the things that he does. But it's convicting to me because this is a testimony to me that if, if Jesus doesn't do the things that I think that he should, cure my dad from cancer, not let my friend Ben die, I don't know why he let that happen. But it causes, it causes us and it, and it calls us to again remember who Jesus is and to trust him. This is the God of the universe who set his crown to the side, who knew no sin and became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God and he did it by dying bloody on a cross. So I don't know why he does everything. I don't know why he did that other than that he loved us. God so loved the world he sent his son to die. That's a love I cannot comprehend that we cannot comprehend. But it does compel us to at least sit back and trust him when he does or doesn't do what we think he should. It's not our place to say. And maybe this guy had seen Jesus many times. Maybe Jesus had seen him. But today... It was God's sovereign plan that this man be healed. I heard one pastor say it like this, and I, I, really, I really like this. <laughs> he said, sometimes God is glorified because people get well. And sometimes God is glorified because people die well. And I don't care, whether I get well or die well, I want to serve the Lord. Getting well would be awesome. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just saying in general, being well and staying well would be sweet. But whether we eat or drink, or whatever we do, may we do it in the name of the Lord. Today was the day that this guy was to get healed. So verse 6, Peter said to him, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. I love this. The first thing that Peter, that Peter brings to light is that the grace of God and the movements of God and the love of God and the kindness of God has absolutely nothing to do on your merit or your finances or your ability to somehow scratch his back. Silver and gold I have not. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, buy wine and milk with no money and without price. Come and have. Come and take without money, without price, without cost. Come and have. Peter says, I don't have any money to give you. You need something more than that anyways. What I give to you, I give to you for free. I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. In the name of Jesus Christ means in his character and in his approval and in his power and in his plan. Because Peter doesn't have any of those things himself. He does not have the power. Once he gets in trouble for doing this miracle, well, Peter, Peter does this miracle and people start to crowd around him like he's some sort of big deal in verse 12. And Peter says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety, we are the ones that made him walk? I love that. God is the one who moves. God is the one who designs. God is the one who wills. And we are just his vessels who follow obediently forward 
and we do it for free. We proclaim the gospel for free. And if people get physically healed in the process, praise the Lord. It doesn't cost you anything. Silver and gold, the guy performing the miracles even broke. That's awesome. But he says to this man, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, in the power of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, by the will of Jesus, in the character of Jesus, in the purpose of Jesus, he says, walk. And the man does. The miracle is effective. It's successful. It takes place immediately. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And this is where I want to camp out for a little while because this was this was at, this was a, this was this was testing for me because I didn't really know for a long time I didn't really know where I landed with miracles I didn't really know what I thought about them but the Bible is very clear that while miracles have a point and they have a purpose they are not our top priority and there's movements that diverge from the Christian faith and they make the they make the extravagant and the miraculous the absolute bedrock foundation of everything that they teach and everything that they do and Jesus Christ does not need miracles to, to, to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, which is actually the real miracle itself. That's the miracle. Taking sinners and making them saints by offering his imputed righteousness to them and applying it to their sinful hearts. That's a miracle. And it's a miracle that the devil cannot counterfeit and won't even pretend to. So my point is that miracles can confirm or they can counterfeit God's legitimate moving in the world. And even when they are authentic, even when the miracles are, are an authentic movement of God, it doesn't guarantee that it's going to produce authentic faith. Remember John chapter 6? One, one of the scariest chapters detailing Jesus' life, he feeds miraculously the 5,000, and, and we're told in Matthew's gospel it was 5,000 men. When you consider the women and children that were present, most estimate that there's between 20 and 25,000 people at the, the feeding on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus miraculously feeds, feeds these 20,000 people, and that's all they see is breakfast. And they follow him back over the northern part of the coast into Capernaum, and they ask him to do it again, and he says, listen, it's not the point. Me feeding you is not the point. You need true bread. You need true sustenance. I am the bread of life that has come down. My blood is true drink. And it says that the many left him. Even as some of his disciples, even some of the, not the inner 12, but some of the people who were, who were going along with him in the 12, turned around and it was final language. They never came back. They wanted the miracle, but they didn't want Jesus. And so whenever Jesus offered himself to them, they were done. And they turned around and they were not following him anymore. Miracles can confirm the, the, the real movement of God or they can counterfeit the movement of God. But even when they're authentic, they may not produce authentic faith. 2 Corinthians 12.12 12 speaks to this authentic movement of power, this, these miraculous powers that the apostles actually could do. When Paul writes that the signs of a true apostle were worked out among you with perseverance and signs and wonders and miracles. That's the same wording in Acts chapter two. Signs and wonders and miracles. Paul is saying that the authentic apostle of Jesus Christ can do signs and wonders and miracles. But what's the point? Again, what's the end game? What happens? What's the result? What is the fruit of those miracles? In John chapter 10, Jesus says himself, speaking of the miracles, in chapter 10, verse 25, he said, Jesus answered and told them, 
I said these things to you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness about me. One of the things that authenticated Jesus Christ to the people that he was around was that he could do these miraculous things. And he goes on to say, listen, if you, if you don't believe the things that I'm saying, at least believe on, the count, on account of the, of the works themselves. I can verify the radical things that I say with these supernatural powers. There is an authenticating reality to these miracles. Verse 35, Jesus said, it is not written in your law, excuse me, verse 37, if you do not do the works, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works themselves so that you may know and continue to know that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. If you see the miracles, believe that I have the, that I'm actually in the Father, and the Father is in me. Look at the things that I can do. I know that the things that I say are radical. Jesus said some radical stuff. C.S. Lewis said that Jesus was a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he was Lord, because Jesus ran around saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He said, if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. He said in John 8:59, before Abraham was, I am. He was claiming the name of God in Exodus chapter 3. You can't say that and be sane unless you're telling the truth. You cannot say that and be, you are absolutely, I told you I'm tired. You are absolutely insane. You're an absolute, you're, you're, you're completely a liar, intentionally deceiving people, intentionally leading them into, into a lie, leading them to give their life to something that is untrue, or you just don't know any better and, and you're a lunatic. You think you're stark raving mad. You think that you are this God. You think that you are this deity. And then you get people to drink the Kool-Aid and it's a tragedy. Or Jesus is who he actually claimed to be, God in the flesh. And the thing that he said to these men at this time was, look at the signs. The signs and the wonders and the miracles can confirm an actual and authentic move of God in this world. But the point is so that you may know and continue to know that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And I love that, that you may know, that you may come to a saving faith and that you will stay, that you will continue to know, that you will remain in that saving faith and that the miracles will help you do that. Another example of this is in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Now it happened that as Peter was traveling through the regions, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. And Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up and make your bed. And immediately he rose up. And listen to this. All who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Miracles can be done by Jesus and by his apostles to confirm that the Lord is moving, that Jesus is the one true God, that there is no other name in all of the earth that is given to men under heaven by which you must be saved. Miracles can be used to confirm that. And if miracles are performed, if you happen to see a miracle performed or a word spoken or a prophecy shared and the name of Jesus is lifted up, praise God. But if the name of some individual person is lifted up, run. We're told in scripture to run. We're told in scripture that that's even a test because there can be counterfeits. In Acts chapter five, the disciples are in trouble. 
And there's all these people coming around and they're saying, how do we deal with these guys? What should we do with them? We need to get rid of them. We need to get them out of here. We got to find a way to destroy them. And Gamaliel stands up and, and he says to these, to these religious leaders, Gamaliel, a man who is respected by all people, stood up in the midst of the Sanhedrin, gave orders to put the men outside for a short time, and he said to the religious leaders, men of Israel, take care that you what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed, and then all who were following him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after this, a man named Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away people after him. But he too perished, and all those who were with him were also scattered. So in this present case, I also say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, and you may even find yourself fighting against God. There was a lot of people running around in those days saying, I am somebody follow me. And people did. And every one of those things, one by one, fell apart. And, Gam and, and Gamaliel is saying, if this, if this Jesus guy is anybody, if this is true, if he is of God, then you're not going to be able to ever put a stop to this. And that's exactly what Jesus said. The gates of hell will come against us, but will not prevail. He said to Peter, on this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gamaliel was very wise, and one of the authenticating factors that the Jesus movement, that the way of that time was legit, was the miracles that were performed. But they also can be counterfeit. They also can be misleading. They also can be lies. Deuteronomy chapter 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true then believe it's of the Lord. Praise God. Bow the knee and worship. Give your life to that individual. That's not what it says. It says that that sign or wonder comes true concerning which he spoke, but then he says to you, let us go and walk after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for Yahweh your God is testing you to find out whether or not you love Yahweh your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. There are signs and wonders that can be done to counterfeit the workings of God authentically. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, Jesus speaking about his return, his, his second coming, he says, false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. 2 Thessalonians 2.9, the lawless one whose coming is in accord with the working of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. 2 Corinthians 11.13-15, such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, distinguishing themselves as apostles, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. And so it is not surprising that his ministers also disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness whose end will be in accord to their deed. And one of the most terrifying realities in all of the Bible is Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy, and in your name did we not cast out demons, and in your name did we not do 
miracles. But then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's incredible that these, that these individuals come to Jesus and they say, did we not do these things? Did we not do these things and these things? And then he calls them those who practice lawlessness. There's a counterfeit work. There's a movement of the devil. There's a supernatural ability that is evil that can lead away authentic faith in Jesus Christ. And so I say to my friend who sort of cavalierly just said, well, if I see a miracle, I'm just going to buy into it. The Bible warns us against this. And this is, this is why whenever we started the book of Acts, I was, I'm, I'm very reticent about miracles, not because I don't believe in them, not because I don't think that they can happen, but I'm reticent because I want to know what, what are they pointing to? What are they signifying? They are a sign. What, are, what is the end that they're, that they're a means to? And if it's not Christ and him crucified and him resurrected, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't care what you can do. I don't care what you know. If it's not Jesus it's not biblical. And if it's not biblical, it's of the devil. One of the most prominent men in all of the scriptures, John the Baptist, the man who in his moment of doubt and of fear, Jesus Christ said, there has been no, of all the, of all the men born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist and in John chapter 10, verse 4, it says that John never did a miracle, never performed one, never could, never did one or the other. And yet he was the light. He was the messenger. He was the one who was making straight the path for the Lord. And as we're going to see, as we progress through Acts going into chapter 4 and into chapter 5, that the drama increases more and more and more. Miracles are witnessed, people are stunned, there's signs and there's wonders, and people are even impressed. But ultimately, they're hateful. They see Peter do signs, they see Stephen's face shine like an angel and then they kill him. They see Paul do signs and they stone him and they beat him and they run him out of town and they tell him to shut up. Friends, signs and wonders and miracles are wonderful. But they're not, they're, they're not guaranteed to bring authentic faith. And so I, my, the, my only point here in bringing all of this up is to just be careful, to use wisdom, to use discretion. And again, I've never seen a miracle. I have, I've never had to worry about this. I've never seen anything supernatural happen. But I have had people come to me and say, I've got a word for you, and, it's, and that has been powerful, and it's been, it's been true, it's been legit, it's been right on. It's a working of the Lord. It's great, but if it doesn't elevate Jesus, friends, one of the ripple effects, one of the ramifications of living out the gospel in this world is that we use discretion when, whenever it comes to these sorts of matters, that we have to be wise, and that we cannot lose focus on Jesus. And this is, this is why in Acts 2.42 it says they, that they continually held on to the teachings of the apostles, devoting themselves to the teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of, of bread and prayer. And I love that. They didn't forsake the doctrine. They didn't forsake scripture. They had miracles, they had signs, and they had wonders, but they still were daily continually going to the teachings of the apostles, because aside from this, we can just get squirrely. Aside from truth, aside from doctrine, aside from God revealed, re, re, God's revealed word to us, we can go anywhere. We can end up believing anything, and so we have, to, we have to filter everything through his sacred scriptures. This is his guidebook to us. 
The early apostles had all the signs and wonders and they still had continu- held continually to the teachings. Is Jesus elevated? Is his name praised? Is he glorified? Is he worshiped when miracles take place? If somebody has something, like a very significant thing healed and I see it and they say, praise Buddha, I, don't, I can't get behind it. Deuteronomy 13 says, listen, man, this is maybe a test. Are you into the signs and wonders or are you into Jesus? Authentic miracles of Jesus will lift up the name of Jesus. And that's what we see here. He seized him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened and leaping up, he stood upright and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. This is what authentic miracles can, can produce. But, but again, not always. The 10 lepers, only one of them returned. All of them were healed. Only one of them came back to Jesus himself. And I love this imagery here. He was walking and he was leaping and he was praising God. Remember when John the Baptist, again, in his moment of trial, whenever he's in prison and it's just soon he's going to get his head chopped off and he sends his disciples to Jesus and he says, he says, ask him, are you really the one? Are you really the prophet? Are you really the Christ? Are you really the Messiah? Because after all, man, I'm in prison. Things aren't going to plan. What's wrong? Are you really the one or should we wait for somebody else? Remember what Jesus said to him? Said to, the, said to his disciples, he said, tell John this, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 35. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And here is a man continuing the work of what Jesus began to do and teach. These guys performing a miracle, and the result is this man walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. In this instance, worship and salvation took place. This man goes on walking and leaping and praising God. And Peter uses this opportunity and we'll consider this next week. Peter uses this opportunity of of the miraculous, of the supernatural, <laughs> of the unusual, to preach Jesus Christ, him and him alone and nothing else. He takes no credit. He names no other name. It is the name of Jesus Christ, the Jesus who came to die for our sins, rose again from the dead, and has given us an imputed righteousness and is teaching us still by the power of his spirit and through the revealed word that he has given us here to know how to live wisely and in a Christian way in this life. He is, this is the gift that keeps on giving. He's still after us. I love this. This is my final, my final word. What I love about the book of Acts is that it's, it's, it's proof and it's evidence to us that after everything that Jesus went through on the cross, after everything that he went through with his rejection and his false trial and the, and the torture and, and the forsaking and becoming sin for, for those of us so that we could become the righteousness of God, after all of that, he didn't ascend into heaven and shake his hands and go, okay, I'm done. They're on their own from here on out. I, my, part is, my part's complete. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. Let him be. He's still pursuing us. His graces are still new every morning. He's still teaching us. He's still guiding us. And he's given us the gift of his word. Amen.
Amen.